Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 1st, 2018. The share ID numbers for Friday, June 29th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11601. That's 11,601. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11602. 11,602. This morning, A Vision for You presents Archway to Freedom. Are the stones properly in place? The 12 steps are introduced in the big book with these words. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Our path is the 12 steps. They are the heart and the heartbeat of recovery. With the first step, we accepted the fundamental problem we face as compulsive overeaters, our powerlessness over food and the unmanageability of our lives. In the second step, we found the nature of the solution, a power greater than ourselves who could restore us to sanity. In the third step, we discover how to make use of that solution by turning our will and our lives over to the care of that power. Throughout the big book, Bill Wilson made a number of construction references which eventually lead to the building of an archway. We are constructing a new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Joining us today to speak about the archway to freedom is Terry A.H., a recovered compulsive overeater and big book teacher and student from Maine. Terry is committed to our 12-step way of life and to teaching and to carrying this message of recovery. It's with great pleasure I welcome Terry A.H. to the line. Thank you, Leah. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. My name is Terry A.H., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. And I feel so blessed and honored to be sharing today um, my experience, strength, and hope. And I would like to just start out with a set-aside prayer just to get grounded and to invite you into this presentation. Um, So, God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself, the 12 steps, this book, the meetings, my disease, and you, God, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please Please let me see the truth. And first, before I begin, I just want to like to welcome the newcomer and all those who are returning. I just know what it feels like after hitting the bottom of my own after a four-year relapse. And I'm here to say that God separated me from my alcoholic foods for the last time. And I'm here to share with you that there's, there is hope and God's grace is abundant. Today's presentation is about the archway to freedom are the stones properly in place? And whether you are just um, starting out or have been here for a while, uh, why staying um, current and reworking the steps one through nine, uh, why it's in, uh, important to me to submit to this process every year, um, either one-on-one or with a guide or in a group setting. And um, the group setting has been really powerful for me this year. Um, we actually we get together um, once a year and we're always inviting new people in and there's four major questions that we ask before we even start to go through the process. And today I'll be speaking from a group setting um, and what that looks like and the reason why I do it. 
the first reason um, that I go through the process on a yearly basis is that I love the effect produced by God. Um, the second reason is um, I can't live on what I ate two weeks ago. And for me, it's the same. Um, it's, it's like I can't come off, I can't live off an old experience. So um, I, you know, I submit to the process once a year so that um, I get the effect produced by God and that my story never changes, but my experience does. And the third reason, I have this ego called emotional sobriety, or we would call it emotional abstinence. And what happens for me, it continues to rebuild itself. And it tells me things like, I can rest on my laurels. Um, it's okay to be complacent. I don't need to continue to build a relationship with God, that I'm good right where I am. I don't need more freedom in every area of my life and that the middle of the road solution is working just fine, which will all lead me back to the cracks in my foundation. Bill W. said it so beautifully. He says, the ego is the enemy. It causes a lot of problems. Well, isn't that the truth? Because it will build me up, but it will also tear me down. And when I allow my ego to control my thoughts, everything I believe becomes an illusion. So I have learned that there are three things to know about ego. One, it always wants something. Two, it's never satisfied. And three, it never tells the truth. So the ego, um, the two greatest lies um, that I've learned about is, is that um, it'll tell me uh, that that's the way it is and that's the way I am. So there's always two voices going on in my head. And my ego is like it's loud, self-assertive, um, in a rude, noisy, overbearing way. Um, and the other is the peaceful one, the quieter one. We call it the God intuition. You see, my intuition doesn't lie to me when I'm tapped into it. It will quietly say, you can do this. I'm going to give you power today. It's the much quieter voice, but sometimes it's overpowered by ego. Ego says, once everything falls into place, I will find peace. Spirit says, find peace within and everything will fall into place. So is it possible to expand my spiritual life even further today? Is it possible to have a greater freedom, more joy, better relationships, more peace, more awareness, and even a greater acceptance than I have up until today? Today I come to you with an open heart, a humble heart. I ask that you join me on this path of considerations. You see, I can't get to the answers, meaning my first step truth, if I don't ask the questions. I can't build a spiritual path based on a lie. As I go through the stones with the steps today, turning statements into questions, I will be talking in first person and referencing to some of the, the pages from the big book, but not all. So I want to take you to the first stone, starting on page 17. So up until this point, we've looked at the emission of powerlessness over our alcoholic foods physically, up through the doctor's opinion. And so we're looking at um, two things. We're looking at the, the couple of component, components, which is one is choice and the other one's control. So um, we looked at... Uh, why I am powerless over my alcoholic foods after I take the first bite and the issue of control. Can I control the amount I take once I start? 
So uh, the doctor's opinion really lays it out really good about um, telling me what my problem is. And then we looked at Bill's story. You know, do I think active feel like Bill today, even in recovery? You know, how is how am I living, you know, like Bill today? You know, um, am I am I struggling with emotional sobriety? Do I think like Bill? You know, do I act like Bill? And do I feel like Bill today? You know, is is there a power working in my life? So the first stone, it talks about um, on page 17, the feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for every one of us, we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism and in our case, um, food addiction. So this first paragraph describes the fellowship. It's the powerful cement that binds us. So what do I find in the fellowship? Is the fellowship alone enough to keep me abstinent? They tell me that what I'm going to find in the fellowship is just one element, this powerful cement. But step one is the foundation, the powerful cement that binds us. But But that in itself would not hold us together. We have, we have discovered a solution. So for me, what if I walked into the meeting of Overeaters Anonymous and all I could do was identify in the way that people ate, but you didn't have any answer for me, just a, just a place to share my eating stories. Would there be hope? And the answer would be no, it would not be enough. So page 18 talks about the disease being an illness. Do I believe that it is an illness? Top of page 19 really helps me understand the first step. I thought that I admitted I'm powerless over my alcoholic foods, and that's why my life was unmanageable. My truth is my life is unmanageable. That's why I compulsively eat. Until I saw the elimination of compulsive eating, it was just a beginning. The next paragraph says, if I keep on going by just not compulsive eating, I've only scratched the surface. So if you remove the alcoholic food, you have to replace it with something. So then we look at the three different uh, eaters, you know, the moderate, the hard, and the real compulsive overeater. And then we look at the behavior. So this is by no means a description because I may not have always behaved this way. So I need to look at my internal condition when I compulsively overeat. We all have different behaviors and circumstances. Some have been to food rehabs, Um, some have not. Some have overate, some of us didn't. So my circumstances are the results of, but do not qualify me to be the real compulsive overeater. So they asked me, does my experience, experience abundantly confirm that once I put any alcoholic foods into my system, something happens and I lose complete and total control? Is this my truth? Does my experience really, um, does, it, does it confirm that if, after I have a couple of bites of my alcoholic foods that I am completely powerless over the amount? I know I need to change my perspective. So I, I look at this and I have to be 100% clear on this. The next page on 20, we're looking at the mental. So if it was just a physical disease, then why don't I just dry out? Or why doesn't treatment centers work for me? I have to have, you know, if they worked, I would have a 100% success rate. 
and if I was only if I only had the physical disease. On page 23, it talks about the insanity. Why do they say academic and pointless? It's academic because it's real important for me to have identified um, that happened to my body. And you take that first bite, but it's pointless because knowing it by myself will not keep me abstinent. Knowledge of my disease will not keep me abstinent. Um, therefore, the main problem, now that I'm dried out, centers in my mind. On page 23, they talk about the obsession that somehow, someday, I will beat the game. Is that true for me, that I won't beat the game today? The bottom of page 23 says, if the man to be a real compulsive overeater, the happy day may not arrive. At a certain point, he reaches a place where he passes into the state of where the most powerful desire to stop compulsive eating is of no avail. So the question, will my strongest desires keep me abstinent? Is the only requirement for membership a desire to stop compulsive overeating? Or, or is the only requirement for me that I have reached a stage that somewhere in my years of compulsive eating, my desire is not enough? to keep me abstinent. On page 24, they talk about choice. Was it just a choice to compulsive eat or not to compulsive eat? Did I choose not to overeat in the morning and end up overeating last night, last week, or even the same day? Later, did I see that I am without defense against the first bite? Thinking the food through, for me, I can smash that idea. The book tells me that the day will come when thinking it through won't work. I don't need, so if, it, if, if I can do that, thinking it through on my own power, then I don't really need a 12-step program. I've thought it through many times and still compulsive over eight or didn't think at all. If my hand was on a hot stove, would I do it again? Of course not. Then isn't that like placing my hand on the hot stove? Why do I continue to do it? On page 25, it talks about there is a solution. It talks about the self-searching, the leveling of the pride, and confessions of shortcoming. This is the first time the book tells me that there is more than one requirement in the recovery process. The only one requirement to be a member, but the requirement for recovery is the process. It talks about the self-searching, steps four, four, five, and 10, the loving, leveling of our pride, steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then the confessions of our shortcomings, which is steps five, nine, and ten. And then the book talks about the fourth dimension. I have lived in the three dimensions, meaning the craving of the body, the mind, and dominated always by emotions. The fourth dimension is a spiritual realm within. That's why they talk about I have been rocketed into the fourth dimension. The problem is within, but also the solution is within. I'm not just physically and mentally sick, the book tells me. I am spiritually sick too. The middle of page 25, it talks about the road, the road solutions. How do I know when I'm hearing the middle of the road solutions in a meeting? Well, for me, if I'm hearing anything that doesn't require that I need to have a deep and effective spiritual, spiritual experience, then that's the middle of the road. No human aid can help me keep me at the root of my problems that lies within. 
I need to treat the root of the problem by working the 12 steps because my sickened spirit nature. On page um, 23, it talks about the mental, the mental obsession. So it talks about I don't have power, choice, and control. If I had choice, then why can't I just choose not to overeat and never go to meetings? Do I see that I, I have a mind that is always going to take me back to the food? They talk about control. If I lost power, do I really have a choice? And then I just want to read um, on page 30. It talks about we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. And then I'm going to skip down a little bit. It says we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. So does the man on the couch maybe paralyzed from the neck down? Does he have the power to get up from the couch and go to the door? Does he have control? Power is strength. Control is ability. And choice is more than two reasonable options. But what if two guys came in and picked him up? Is that a power greater than himself? Can you really make the choice just to wake up out of bed and choose not to compulsive overeat today? If I could, then maybe I might not be the real compulsive overeater. Do I have the defense just not to compulsive overeat? And then the book talks about the obsession. The obsession is the idea that comes in my mind and outweighs all other reasons why I shouldn't. The illusion is the way I see the world, the way I see reality. It's not right. The delusion is the way that I lied to myself inside. All three of those words are interchangeable. They, are meaning, they mean something different, but they all are a distorted way of thinking. The delusion that I'm like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. So this tells me I will never be like other people. I have to see this. Why does it say presently? And this is one of my favorite lines because this is one of the reasons why I go back through the 12 steps on a yearly basis, one through nine, because it says presently. So it's reminded me that up until today, how am I doing? So um, why does it say presently? Because for me, um, it doesn't matter at five months, five years, or 50 years. The reality is that no matter how much time I have, I will never be able to eat like a normal a person. And then they give me two experiences to just to try out if I'm not sure that I'm the real compulsive overeater, if I'm not convinced. So the first experience is on page 31. Um, it asks, so this is the experience. If I take, can I take two cookies a day, no more or less, for for 30 days? Can I? Can I? Is that me? Can I just eat two two cookies per day for 30 days? See, I get to smash any middle of the road solution by having to go back out there and experiment. I can take this into to prayer meditation. Is this me? Am I, am I the person that can just take two cookies a day for 30 days? No more, no less. The experience number two is on top of page 34. It says, um, is, is even better. It says, can I stay stopped for a year on my own? No meetings, no God, no nothing. Is this me? Can I do this? So these two experiences really help get me clear about my first step problem. And then we go to page 32, who's um, the man of uh, Mr. Carpet Slippers, I call him, and he's, he's Jim. And 
uh, he, uh, you know, the, he's he's the man of, um, you know, he believes after 25 years of being sober that he'll be able to, to drink without a physical consequences. So am I like him? And, you know, without death, am I like him? So why do I think it's different today than before? Do I think the allergy has gone away or do I think I can stay stopped and never pick up again with no solution? Page 33 talks about, I have to have no reservations that someday I can compulsively overeat again or pick up my alcoholic foods. So the two reservations that I see over and over again, and has been my experience before I came into for the last time, if I have a reservation, um, there'll be two things that will come up. I will be unwilling to do the work or believe that I can be, that I'll be immune to my alcoholic food some days. So those are all reservations. And then we talk about the insanity on the top of page 35, the crux of the problem. Seeing the insanity starts before I compulsively eat. See, one thing the book is going to do, it's going to take me out from behind any big excuses of my life that, is, that the food is the problem. If you take away my alcoholic foods away, am I sane? Um, not me. I figured that since I was absent, that this decision must be good because I was influenced by my alcoholic foods. You take away my solution, my alcoholic foods, and I'm left with a problem, my mind. I thought my insanity was caused by the alcoholic foods. My alcoholic foods is the result of. So you take away my alcoholic foods, and there's the problem. You see, I have to see... The craziest thing I ever did was when I was cold stone abstinent. I had 90 days and I thought I was good to go and I left program, but I picked up again. Even after all those things happened to me, I compulsively overeat. Ate. So the delusion that I'm like other people today for me, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. And that is my truth. So I have this friend who goes to dialysis on a weekly basis. And I use this analogy, and um, we've talked about it. And so it's like, how many people go to dialysis just to hang out? Do they say, I just feel like having dialysis today? I'm better, so let me keep going. Someone who goes to dialysis goes because they have no choice. And not, it's not like they wake up in the morning and want to spend three hours getting their kidneys flushed out. If you didn't need this, you wouldn't do it. So that's me, compulsively over, the, the real compulsive overeater. So um, I, I um, want to just take you to uh, the this, this spiritual malady that, that we talk about. And um, it's the spiritual un unmanageability. And this is going to smash any idea that this program is a self-help program. So I have to see... In step one, my powerlessness, my unmanageability, and the insanity before I can, go, I can move forward to step two. I have, uh, have I seen that the lack of power is my dilemma? So am I, am I physically on my own? Can I control or predict the amount I eat? And mentally, on my own, can I, con can I control the stop? The middle paragraph on page 45 is where I see what this book is, is about. This book is about finding a power that will help me solve my problems, not just my food problems. Am I clear about the difference between the, the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic or the, or the, um, 
the compulsive overeater and the non-compulsive overeater, the real compulsive overeater. So for me, the non-compulsive eater puts down the food and their life gets better. The real compulsive eater puts down the food and their life gets worse without a solution. So the bedevilments on page 52, they show me this is the unmanageability, unmanageability in step one, whether I'm abstinent or not. So if my problem is for, from within, then the solution has to come from within too. All I ever knew was to fix my outside, my external things with, um, that I found that I couldn't fix those with the, um, that I was suffering from the internal condition. So do I see that on my own, I can't control my personal relationships. I have the, the inability to control my emotional natures, that I am a prey to misery and depression. I have the inability to make a living and that I have a feeling of uselessness, I'm full of fear, I'm unhappy, and that I can't be of real help to anyone when the spiritual malady is going on inside me. So it's a direct result of an absence God in my life. So I have to get to a place, not where I see that step one is acceptable, but where it is un unacceptable. Have I admitted that I am the real compulsive overeater and that the solution for me is spiritual help? I have to be able to see the hopelessness in step one before I truly believe the only hope for me is from a power greater than myself. I can't go for this unless I have been insane and I get to see the insanity, my powerlessness and the hopelessness. I have to have a gut level experience with step one to see that I have no alternatives but to accept spiritual help. So in the beginning of We Agnostics, it asks us if we have learned anything about alcoholism or compulsive eating. Did I give the God idea a fair hearing or was, was I basing my opinions of, of God based on what I heard and seeing what people would say and do? Did I ever do my own research on God? The next stone they talk about is uh, the cornerstone came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Bill relates how he took his second step. So on page 13, it's, he says, it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make a beginning. I saw that growth could start from the point upon a foundation of complete willingness. I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. So Bill talks about making a beginning and all that is required is the willingness to believe and that I can voluntarily look for help in a spiritual direction. I can begin from this foundation, which, this, which is the solid foundation of willingness. So I just want to read off some things um, that it's all through We Agnostic. I'm not going to go to the pages, but it's just direction for making a beginning. So if you, if you don't, if you're not to this point and, and you think that you have to have a higher power, that's not what this step is about. It's just about if you see your powerlessness in step one, all at step two is your need for power. So some of the places it talks about, it talks 16 places in We Agnostics, it says for the direction just to make a beginning. It says we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis for life or else. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice, our prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. 
Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. And then the step two question, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe in a power greater than myself? So I always, I always look at the mustard seed. That's all we need to make a beginning. And then it talks about this sort of thinking had to be abandoned. So this is a direction for making a beginning. And then it talks about faced with the alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. And then on page 49, it talks about we lay aside prejudice even against organized religion. So these are all directions for making a beginning. And then it says this happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. We asked ourselves this, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as we were the ancients about the realm of the material? We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply our human problems this same readiness to change our point of view. We had to stop doubting the power of God. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that God either is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. On page 55, it talks about we sweep away prejudice we think honestly, search digitally within ourselves, then you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, so he's a great promise, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come. And then the last place it talks about making a beginning, it says, he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. So what are my doubts and prejudice today? What are the things that are holding me back? from from uh, just taking that simple step too. Am I judging the forest by a few bad trees? On top of page 51, it talks about the consciousness of the presence of God today, meaning I ask myself, right today, whether I'm five years abstinent, 10 years abstinent, one day abstinent, is the most important fact of my life, is the presence of God today? Or has that taken a back seat and I'm running the show again? Am I back thinking that the program will keep me abstinent and I can lay God aside? The cornerstone talks about this is if we've admitted that I'm powerlessness and that I'm clear and I'm clear on step one, I must find a power greater than myself to move me towards recovery from that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I need to ask myself this question. Um, the cornerstone also determines the trueness of the structure, whether it is plumb, level, and square. The willingness to believe is the essential to new structure of my life. It is the guiding principle, a solid base for the future decisions and action. Willingness coupled with honesty and open-mindedness is absolutely necessary to my recovery. So they give me, um, uh, there's 28 places in We Agnostics about reason to believe, and I'll go through those. Um, on page 44, it talks about you may be suffering from an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. 47, it says you've been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderful effective spiritual structure can be built. So these are all reasons to believe. So people of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. 
We used to have no reasonable conception whatever. Spiritual-minded persons demonstrated a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. These men and women have gained access to believe in a power greater than themselves. One hundred people say that the conscious of the presence of God is the most important fact of their lives, present, a powerful reason why one should have faith. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did, all another reason to believe. Others show us that God's sufficiency worked with them. The authors think it's reasonable and more sane and logical to believe than not to believe. We have faced the proposition that either God is or God isn't. Faith had been involved all along. In one form or other, we had been living by faith and little else. We had seen spiritual release. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. Again, another reason to believe. We finally saw that faith in some kind of, of our makeup or God was part of our makeup. We found the great reality deep down within us, page 55. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Is it possible that all religious people I have known are wrong? Then it talks on 56, a reason to believe. Who am I to say there is no God? His alcoholic problem was taken away. Just a reason to believe. God has restored his sanity. What is it but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. Even so, has God restored us all to our right minds? But he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. So those are all reasons to believe. There's 28 places. So there's hope. Um, so I want to take you to the third stone, the keystone, which is step three. It says, this is how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agent. He is the father and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. So the reason I cannot live up to my ideals is that I lack the needed power. God has the power to remake my life, and this book will show me how to find this power. If I could have changed myself to be the kind of person I wanted to be, I would have done it so long ago. How many times did I try numbers of methods? to bring about such a change with little or no effect. The keystone holds all the pieces of the arch in place. It is the concept upon which all other concepts presented in the program depend upon. The keystone, so here's my considerations. Am I still convinced on the ABCs? Turning my will and my life and my thinking over to God? What does that actually mean to me today? Am I still convinced that I have to stop playing God? Do I believe that this is his show, his play, or am I just an actor? The director actor. So the question, they give us three concepts. Am I ready to make the decision that hereafter God will direct my life? The principal agent. Am I ready to make the decision that hereafter I will represent what God would have me be? The father child. 
Am I ready to make the decisions that hereafter I will trust that God will provide what I need? Do I believe that these ideas are good and that this concept will be the keystone of the new and triumphant arch, which I will pass to freedom? And then I want to take you to um, the the last arch that they talk about. You know, um, you know. So I I do the inventory. Um, I want to just talk about the the inventory process. Um, so as a group, we we go through the inventory and we do um, resentments, fear, and uh, we do the resentments, the fears, and the, the sex sex conduct, um, which I call today the relationship conduct and um, I have to I have to say this year, you know, as I went through the process, um, I did I did um, the inventory, you know, because you might be asking, you know, why do you, you know, why do we have to go through, or why do you go through the steps again, you know, um, because we do 10, 11, we live in 10, 11, and 12, and for me, it's there's always stuff coming up, and so this year, what I did was I did an inventory on the principles, and the principles are all the negative voices that go in my head, and. Um, you know, the lies that I tell myself, and I have to tell you, it's one of the most powerful um, inventories that I that I did um, this year, and um, I saw that, you know, all the lies that I carry with me, um, and where they come from, and where it's really blocking me from, from God and others, and, and then I looked at the fears, which I got from, you know, the principles of uh, the inventory with resentments, and then you know, we go to the the last inventory, which we which the book talks about. The, it's a sex inventory. I call it today the relationship inventory because it's not about it's not about sex for me. And um, today, it's it's all about how are my relationships going. And um, so, I, when I went to the relationship inventory, um, this is really about how do I show up in the most intimate relationships, and are my relationships in order squared away? Where did I screw up? or create confusion with others, uh, cleaning away the sludge between me and me and the other person. So this is what we do as a group. We take these, we take this inventory into meditation and ask myself, how does Terry act out in relationships? So I ask God to guide me and I ask God to ask, I ask God to where the disconnect between me and God and this person. See, the big book gives us, awesome prayers. It says, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. We pray for the right ideal. We pray for the guidance in each questionable situation. We pray for sanity. We pray for the strength to do the right thing. So this is, um, and I want to share with you um, what that looked like for me this year. So I had a resent, I, I didn't have a resentment, but I, I had some sludge, like I, I like to call it, or some disconnect from a family member. And it was my nephew. And uh, uh, so I want to just kind of take you through the inventory real quick and what that looked like. So um, my nephew came up. Um, I, I always say God's timing is perfect. Um, he came up. Um, he's, he's been in prison for the last 10 years, and I've had no contact with him. And through this inventory, this is where I saw the nine questions come alive. Where had I been selfish? I wanted him to be a productive member of society, to do the right thing, to be different. Where had I been dis dishonest? Uh, that his actions were a reflection on our family. That the family, that family doesn't stick together through hard times, just, a, just on good times. And denying that we were related. Where was I in 
inconsiderate. I didn't think how he needed family at one of the most difficult times of his life. Whom did I hurt? I hurt my nephew. I hurt my brother, who's his dad. Did I arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? I don't believe I aroused jealousy or suspicion, but I do believe that I aroused bitterness because I went missing in action. Where was I at fault? I never made an effort in person or by mail in the last 10 years. What should I have done instead? I should have been supportive, been a powerful example, been a loving and tolerant, tolerant person. A good aunt stayed in contact and reached out at least via by mail. And what was the harms? The harness was no contact of any, no love and tolerance, no support. So um, I did the inventory, and um, what we do as a group is we fist up together, and it's really powerful. Um, and then, you know, uh, we go to the, the fist up proposals, which we, we walk through that after we do the fist up, and um, the path to freedom you know, it says on page 75, taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the pages which contain the 12 steps, carefully reading the first five proposals. So at this point, I go through the five proposals. It says we ask if we have admitted anything for a building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Then they ask me, is my work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have I skimped on the cement put in the foundation? Have I tried to make mortar without sand? So this all comes down to, are there cracks in the foundation? An arch is a stable and strong structure capable of withstanding pressure and strain. The component pieces of an arch works together to support themselves. Thus, each component part of the arch is necessary. The omission of any part of the arch will cause the whole structure to fall. So at this point, we go through the five proposals, and it looks like, have I been thorough? So we review step one. Do I believe I'm still powerless over my alcoholic foods and my life has become unmanageable? Do I believe I have no power, choice, and control before the first bite in my mind and after the first compulsive bite in my body? Am I still clear on that? Do I still believe I cannot manage my own life? Do I believe I still have a mind that will take me back, that which is killing me, sprees, unmanageability, self-will run riot, etc.? Do I still believe that my body is as normal as my mind and my body will experience the phenomenon of craving when I pick up my alcoholic food? Am I still with that or have I gotten so far from step one that it's kind of like not there anymore? The further I get away from step one, the further I need to be driven into it because it's always a step one problem. I have been driven further into it today for me. And then um, step one, do I still believe I will experience that strange mental blank spot without a spiritual experience? The strange mental blank spot that I can get by making overeat is anonymous. Do I believe I will go on these sprees emerging remorseful with a firm resolution never to go back to the food again? Then I'm back to another spree again, saying to myself, but I thought I wasn't going to do this. And here I am, right in the middle of it, hoping no one in OA sees me or hope my husband doesn't find out. And then step two, am I willing to accept spiritual help? And if not, that I will experience the bitter end. Am I still willing to have God restore me to sanity? Do I believe I can and will be relieved of my food addiction? 
Am I willing to believe in or do I now believe in a power greater than myself? Am I still clear with that today, that I need this power on a daily basis? Am I still working to move along these spiritual lines? And then the keystone, which is the step three, am I still convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success? Or do I think I'm a heck of a, doing a, a heck of a good job on my own now because I finished my fifth step? Am I good to go? Is that what I'm telling myself? I'm such a good gal. Am I willing to quit playing God in every area of my life? Am I clear that turning my will and my life over to God is none of my business? And I must continue to seek this power. Am I still clear on that? And then we go to the fourth question through the first five proposals. Have I been thorough in all area? Or have I tried to sneak something through the archway? Cheat my way through the archway, hoping to go undetected because God will never find out because I didn't say it. How's that working for you, Terry? Step five. Now I get to sit as a group with more than one person, someone other than a sponsor, someone that's awake. It doesn't have to be a sponsor. And then I just want to take you to uh, the, the, the fifth step questions that I ask. Um, you know, am I, am I good to go? Have I, you know, have I put any cracks in the foundation? So uh, with that, uh, you know, I go on to steps six and seven, if I'm good. And I always say like six is, you know, the questions in six, am I willing to abandon my selfish, self-centered way of life and adopt a fully life guided by God? Have I discovered many character flaws that on my own power, I can't change? Have I admitted these things are my truth and that I need God to help me change? Am I willing to let go of my old ideas, my attitudes, and my actions? Am I willing to adopt this new outlook on life? Am I willing to pray for the willingness in those areas at which I balk? And the answer is yes. So I move to step seven. It's like having a screen sifter of dirt and the pebbles are left it's those pebbles that will kill me. Am I willing to let God have them? Am I willing to get turned back to God and move in a different direction? So I love the visual, you know, it's like going skydiving and I'm getting ready to jump out of the plane. And I jump and the parachute is step seven. And if I don't pull the cord, I will die. And then we move on to... Um, we move on to steps eight, you know, as a group, because I've seen, you know, my harms in um, step four. And the amends that I want to talk about is with my nephew. So, again, I saw my truth that I had not been in contact with him for 10 years. And so I contacted him by via mail. I sent him a letter and asked him if I could come and visit because there was some harms that I had created and I needed needed to, you know, make it right. And so um, with excitement, you know, he, he, he accepted and sent me the process um, because there is a process when you go into a prison that you have to make out an application and they have to do a background check on you to make sure that you're not a criminal, you know, a criminal myself. And so what happened for me was, you know, I got the application, I sent it in, and it took about three weeks to um, for them, for the process to go through. And 
Um, I got in touch with, we, we stayed in contact um, by, via by mail until I was able to go into the prison. We had set up a date, and um, I have to share my experience with this because this is, if I had not reworked the steps, I would have never, I would have never seen this. But as I was driving to the prison, which was two, two hours away, I drove, it was just me and God, and I asked God, you know, just please give me the strength and the courage to um, let you help me with this amends um, and help me to walk into this um, prison, which was a huge prison. It's a, it's a male prison and it's very high secured. And, um, and it was, I had never been in a prison. So I asked God to really just give me the strength and courage to do what I needed to do to, you know, make this right and set this straight. And so I, I walked into the prison, I gave my license and, uh, went through the security system, which is a big security system. Um, and, and then not only that, um, part was scary, but they also had a guy, a a guard dog, which, um, you know, you stand in line, you know, it's visiting hours, you stand in line and they have this guard dog that goes up and down in front of you and in back of you to make sure that you're not bringing any contraband and, or drugs or weapons or, and, um, so the whole process I have to tell you was not, not pleasant um as um just to even get in to see see my nephews so as we all passed that the visitors we went into this visiting room and um there he sat waiting um for me and um i i can't even tell you what that was like for me um to see him after 10 years um we embraced for the big hug we sat down together and i began to uh you know talk to him about you know, that I regretted that it had taken so long for contact and that my behavior was, was unacceptable and that I really had regret that I had not made any effort in keeping contact with him for the last 10 years, that um, I had not been a loving and supportive aunt in the one, one of the most difficult and hard times of his life. Um, he went to prison um, with, you know, the... Um, with the uh, with the caution, uh, he uh, went to prison with um, the repercussions of his actions, you know, using drugs and alcohol. And you know, I I told him that I regretted, as a recovered woman in a 12-step program, that I was not practicing the principles, and that I never considered what he had been going through. And I asked him, "Is there any other harms that I'm not aware of that you need to tell me about?" Um, and he said, he replied, none that I can think of. And he calls me Aunt Terry. He's, I said, do you need to tell me how this has hurt you? And his response was, he just wished it had been different, that family had not abandoned him at the time he needed them most. And then I asked him, is there anything that I can do to make this right? And of course, the obvious was to stay in contact, visit, or just a, a letter by mail and to also give him my address and phone so that he could call me because you can't call inside prison. So that was my immense. We had um, a, a great a great visit. It's a, it's a two-hour visit, and we got to catch up, and, um, you know, it was just such a beautiful process. And then, you know, of course, we live in steps 10, 11, and 12, and, you know, step 10 for me is the blueprint for living. You know, I get to watch. There's five things that, you know, I do on a daily basis. I get to watch ask, discuss, make, and turn, you know, and 
it says we have entered the world of the spirit. And just because I enter the world of the spirit, it's not a one-way ticket. I can also exit it too. So I look at step 10 as being on an icy mountain. I'm just not maintaining my position. And then I go into step 11, which is really spending time and with God and my, my prayer meditation and doing, you know, the directions in the book, you know, the nightly review, you know, what we do in the morning and what we do during the day. And I always say, when confused, when in doubt, run in circles, screen and shout, we pause. And, um, and step 11, you know, it's a, like I said in the beginning, it's an inside problem, but it's also an inside solution. So for me, if I always go in, I will never go without. So it's a, it's a, whenever I'm feeling insecure, I go in to get secure. And then, um, you know, the last stone that I want to talk about is the foundation stone. And that's on page 97. And it says, helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day, if need be. And that's on page 97. So to end my story about my amends with my nephew, what I didn't know at the time of my visit Someone's unmuted. What I didn't know at the time of my visit, the message of the big book was being carried in from the outside. My nephew is now two years recovered in helping other inmates. God uses us everywhere, even in prison. You see, God is never late, and his timing is always perfect. On page 100 in closing, it says, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us, when we put ourselves in God's hands, were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. So what I've learned is when I leave everything in God's hands, eventually I see God's hands in everything. On page 102, it says, your job now is to be at a place where it can be of maximum helpfulness to others. So my job today, when working with others as their guide, uh, is not to be the problem solver, but to get them to the problem solver. You see, for me, I bought 100 self-help books and never got recovered. I bought one Helping Others books, this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got recovered. Thank you for letting me share today. And blessings to all. Thank you, Terry, for your crystal clear, straightforward presentation and thorough teaching from the big book this morning. Thank you for sharing your experience and message of depth and weight with all of us. Terry's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. The share ID for today's presentation, 11605, that's 11,605. And we're going to now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Terry A.H. by unmuting, pressing star 1 to unmute. Announce yourself, your name, and the first letter of your last name as well. Katie G. from Boston. Katie. Jody EQ. Jody EQ. Lucy E. Morrissey. 
Morrissey. Marjorie G. Marjorie G. Uh, did you hand me a Lucy E? I did. I got you, Lucy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Robin P. I didn't catch either of those names. Robin P. Robin P. Anne Marie M. Anne Marie M. Okay. That's a good group. KDG, everybody else, please mute. KDG, you're up. Thanks. Good morning, Leah. May I be heard? Yes. Wonderful, Leah. Thank you for your service. And Terry, it was a delight to hear um, the grace that you shared with us this morning. I just was hoping you could expand a little bit more on was there something that led you to make a shift or was there a shift in your program from when you went from living in 10, 11, and 12 and then going back to step one? And what's the difference? Like, I mean, I, I think I heard it, but if you could like re-articulate, what's the difference between going back to step one through nine versus saying, okay, I want to go back to step four because I'm having resentment and going four through nine. And I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Katie, for the question. Good to hear your voice. Um, for me, um, it's always a step one problem. So if it's like if I'm not reminded of what my problem is I'm never going to think I have a problem so step one for me you know when we go through it as a group we spend two or three hours as a group just going through the first three steps and so that we're clear about what the work is needed to be done in four through nine and it took uh you know step one for for you know the group was you know we talk about the physical and you know I, I kind of gave a, a kind of a brief description what we do do in step one but you know, when we're going through as a group, I mean, it's the step that holds all the rest of the steps. So it's it's really about, you know, am I, am I physically, physically and mentally, you know, different from my fellows? Because what happens for me is when I get away from the program, I forget what, I forget about what my, my first step problem is. You know, in the third piece, you know, after uh, it says we have admitted we were powerless over food, you know, which is physically, mentally, and then the dash, and we, um, and that our lives are unmanageable. That's the piece where the spiritual malady is, and that's the piece when I'm, when I'm forgetting or I'm just going about life. Um, I'm, I start running the show again. So it's it's definitely a step one problem, and that's what I've learned through this process is that if I'm always clear on step one, then I won't have a problem with the rest of the steps. And again, you know, I get the effect produced by God. So I hope that. That answers your question. Thank you, Katie G, for your question. Jody EQ, your turn. Star one to unmute, please. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Terry. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you so much, Terry. This is a very interesting share. Can you tell us more about your group and how that came about and how that is organized. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jody, for the question. So, what we do as a group, and this is um, this is open ended every year that we go through, and it's usually you know the the people that are on the same journey or you know do the same thing, um, going through the process and submitting to the first you know uh, steps one through nine. And what we do as a group is. We get together, and again, we always welcome new people to come in, and uh, 
And there's four questions that we take into prayer meditation um, about even before we start the process. And the questions, uh, you know, we take this, these questions into prayer meditation and consideration for a week um, just to, you know, see where we are today. And, you know, the question, you know, I can give you the questions. The question, you know, the, the first question is, do I want to live? Um, and the second question is, uh, do my actions on a daily basis demonstrate a show that I want to live? Uh, the third question is, do I want what you have and am I willing to go to any lengths to get it? And then the fourth question, am I willing to resubmit to the process of one through nine? And we sit with these questions for a week and um, review in the first three steps. And then we come back together as a group. Um, we usually have four to six. And again, we're always, you know, always new people are, are welcoming and coming in. And, you know, we sit with the questions for a week and then we come back as a group. And then we review the first three steps, sometimes two to three hours. I mean, it's, it's we really, we really get down to um, why we need, why we need to do, continue to do the process. And for me, I'm so grateful for the process. It, it came to me, um, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, and I have not, not done it every year um, because, again, I like the effect produced by God. And also, it helps me, you know, for an example, you know, with my nephew, if I had not gone through the process again, I don't know if, if I would have missed that because I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't resentful at him at all. So I think God's timing is perfect and, um, you know, you'll get what you get, you know, as you go through the process every year. And um, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for the process. So that's it. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And your nep- experience with your nephew is beautiful. Thank you for sharing thank you. it. Thank you, Jody. Thank you. Thanks, Jody, for the question. Lucy E, star one to unmute. Your turn, please. Uh, thank you, uh, Leah. Can you hear me? I do. Oh, thank you so much for your continued service every week. Uh, thank you, Terry, so much. I it, so much of what you said resonated for me. And I have like, I guess, structural questions. One is that, well, two things. One is that I wanted to know you were referring to these nine questions, and then you said five proposals. Are these questions and proposals in the big book? And yes, they are. Okay. Oh, I'd like sorry. To, maybe I'll, yes, okay. I'll call you then afterwards. I don't know if you're going to give that where to find these. And then you said the yearly group, it's by invitation, but it's up to six people. So I'm wondering, is there a format? Is this only people that have gone through a vision for you process? Or it's just people working the, I guess, OA program that have done the steps? And um, how do you get, I mean, how do you invite people? When does this happen? I mean, it's structural stuff. And then you, you said you were, you were talking about Blueprint for Progress. And you made a, uh, an analogy be, between being on a mountain, you said you, that, the, that step 10 is the blueprint for living, and you're on an icy mountain, but icy mountain, you're just not maintaining my position you're talking about. Could you shed some more light on that, that you're here at this thing and you're not maintaining position? What would maintaining position look like, and what is it that you're doing that's different uh, with this process? Okay. Thank you, Lucy, for, for the questions, and I'll try to answer your first first two questions. So 
Um, the first five proposals are on page 75. It, you know, it, tell, it asks us to go through the first five proposals. It says, taking this book down from the shelf, we turn to the pages so it contains the 12 steps, carefully reading the first five proposals. And then the nine questions that you asked about for relationships is on page 69. In the middle, it says, we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Um, and then the icy mountain thing. Um, so for me, step 10 is about, I, I can't maintain my position, meaning that um, it can't be robotic, that it, it talks about there, um, we continue to grow um, and uh, enlarge, uh, let me just get there real quick. Um, I always like to refer, refer to the book, so it's just not coming, coming from me. Um, it says like we've entered that. the world. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. So how? Um, so it doesn't. T it doesn't tell tell me to maintain my position. So that's the benefit of going through the process on a yearly basis because it helps me continue to grow and be effective to others and you know have this have this effective relationship with God. So I, I hope that answers your question. Um, and then the the last thing was, when does this group happen? How do you invite people? Um, the format, what does you know? How did someone get a format to start a group? You know that kind of stuff. Do I need to call you after? So so what we do, Lucy, is um, you know there's there's no format. I mean it's the four basic questions that I I, I gave Jody. You know when I talk when I speak on Jody EQ, those are the four main questions. Uh, it's the process is different for everyone because it's, it's about working the 12 steps, um, going through the process for the first time, and then um, submitting to that, you know, if you want to do that once a year. And uh, it's really, you can do it with anyone, um, any, you know, as long as you've been through the steps and, you, and you're willing to submit to the process again, you can form your own group because everybody is in different places. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much. I have a blessed oh, you're welcome. Thank yes, you. thanks for your question. Thank you, Lucy E. Mara Z, your turn, star one to unmute. Mara Z? I had unmuted, and then it muted me again. I apologize. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And, Terry, thank you very much for your very frank and honest um, and sincere sharing. Um, I was especially moved by your ninth step amends that you did with your nephew. <clears throat> and um, I have a question. Um, I am in a position... With my let me let me do this succinctly. Um, for two years, I did not have any contact with either of my two older sisters. And a year ago, a little over a year ago, <clears throat> they individually contacted me by email, saying that they wanted to start anew, <clears throat> and uh, that you know there, there were some requirements. Um, one was that we agreed to be completely honest with each other from now on, and two was that we do not try to address or adjust the past. I had to do a lot of prayer on that uh, because I held on to a lot of resentments I've been bullied most of my life. And um, so 
Now I'm going in three weeks, God help me, pray for me, to California for my oldest sister's um, 70th surprise party. And I'll be staying with my other sister. And my heart is pulling me towards, you know, uh, doing my amends. Um, As was spoken about the other day, doing amends to... But I'm just wondering, we do the amends when, you know, it's no one else is going to be harmed. And so what I'm trying to grapple with is they don't want to address the past or adjust it. Is my my wanting to make amends, is that going to be doing something against their wishes? Is that going to be harmful to them? That's Thanks for question. the question. Thanks for the question, Maura. Um, well, this is what I always, you know, give when I'm working with others. What are my motives? So if they're asking me not to bring up the past, then why would I do that? Because it would create more harm because they're asking me not to do that. So so what I've learned that I don't make amends so that I feel better. It's It's all about taking responsibility for my behavior, but also respecting their wishes and you know i get to be i get to free others from me and through that process i get free so if someone's asking me not to bring up the past i have to respect them because it's not about me any longer it's about them i get to show up so you know speaking from from your you know i get you would get to show up as a, as a as a sister you know as a sister with that brings love and tolerance you you would get to bring that um, ideals, you know, and values about how you are today to them and not have to make the amends about you because they wish not to talk about it. So we have to respect that with others when we're making amends that we don't create more harm. And that sounds like it would create more harm, like you had already figured out. I don't know if that's Thank helpful. you. Yeah, you're yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Marzi. Marjorie G. Our one time mute. Good morning, Terry. Thank you so much. This is Marjorie G. When you described the process, you described the instructions, or you read the instructions from the big book, and there are parts where the big book specifies that we write out our responses to questions and and inquiries and inventory. And then there are numerous questions to be addressed, but the book doesn't specifically say write them out. And I want to know, in your experience, whether you write out your questions and answers, whether you think it through sit with it meditation, um, whether you discuss it with people, how you approach those questions logistically, and then if you do sometimes write and at other times use different um, procedures, what is the difference in your experience depending upon how you approach the questions? Thanks, Marjorie, for the question. So for me today, um, when I go through the process, there is no, I mean, we we do as a group, we write out, you know, we write out those four questions and we take those into prayer meditation. You know, it's, it's really this journey is between me and God. 
and then when we come back, um, you know, the questions, you know, the, all the considerations we turn, you know, we, we go through the first three steps and we turn all the statements into questions so that we're talking about that as a group and um, so that everyone gets their first step truth to move us into two and then three and then to the inventory process. So there's no writing involved as a group. It's just we're talking because it's about really submitting to the first three steps and being really clear, <clears throat> excuse me, being really clear on, on those first three so that it can move me into the inventory so that if I need to clean up anything that I'm, I'm good to go. Thank you. Mm. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Marjorie G. Robin P. Star one to unmute. Hi, thanks so much, Leah. Thank you. Wow. God bless you. Thank you so much for this tremendous. I, I love and am so blessed to have heard your uh, ninth step uh, with your nephew. Thank you so much. God bless you. Um, I, I just I felt really, really touched. Some of my questions have been answered, uh, I think most of them, um, by the other questions. Um, it's so my my only other question was um I think I would actually like the format as well. But when you do an annual fourth step, do things still keep coming up as fourth steps? Um, because I I do you know I live in ten, eleven, and twelve um, as a recovered compulsive overeater, but I, I just I would I just don't know if I would have like a full fourth step every year to do. So I just had a question about that. Thanks so much. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Robin, for the question. So I never plan the outcome on what it's going to look like. Like God will give it to me, and that, that's what I love about the group, the group setting because it's, the, the whole group setting is all about prayer meditation. So we're not going into it like we're going to get something out of it. We're going into it with guided, you know, guided direction from a God of our own understanding. And I believe as we get into the inventory, God will reveal what needs to be looked at. And that's been my experience because why in 10 years have I not looked at this with my nephew? You know, why, why, why now? It was because God's timing is perfect. And I, I'm not here to say, you know, that I, I should have done it sooner. I, I mean, I am not going to shoot all over myself, but you know, God's timing is perfect and he's never late is what I say. But if I had not gone through the process, then I don't know, maybe uh, you would have heard a different story or no story at all. So I, I always go into it with an open mind. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Audrey. I'm sorry. I think that was, yeah. Robin. Was that my, yeah. Robin. Sorry. Sorry, Robin P. No problem. Thank you. Anne-Marie M., your turn. Hi. Thanks, Leah. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Terry, for your um, thorough step work and, you know, going through the steps with us. I appreciate that so much. Um, this is Anne-Marie M. I'm in South Carolina, uh, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. And my question was, and maybe I didn't hear, but when you went through the fourth step, did you look at where um, where your self-esteem, your ambitions, um, your pocketbook and security were affected? And that was one question. And the other question is, when you do a 10-step, um, you know, daily 10 steps, 
do you include that in your 10th step? Do you include how it affects you, how it affects your self-esteem, security, ambitions, and personal relationships? Thanks for the question, Amory, and good to hear your voice. Um, mm. So the fourth, yes, when, when we do the fourth step as as a group or individual on my own, um, yes, I do hit, you know, the third third and fourth column. I didn't speak on that much today because I wanted to make sure that I, I covered, you know, I, I covered the, the points that I wanted to cover, especially with the relationship inventory. And um, when I'm doing my 10th step, you know, it gives us clear-cut directions. You know, it says we, um, when these crop up, we ask God at once. So I'm turning to God and asking God to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately. So when I'm doing, you know, it gives us five, five points to, to really look at. So when I'm doing my 10 steps, I don't use the third column only because this is not about, about me. This is about um, I get to get in touch with God so that I can go out to others. So uh, the, the third column is basically I keep that in, in the fourth step inventory and uh, tens, I usually go right to, you know, the the fourth column because I, I want to see the truth and I want to be able to be, I don't want to, I don't want to stay in the third column because that's, that's about me, you know. So if I can, if I can do the fourth step, fourth column and get right to that, I'm going to be free from that so that I can be of service to God and to others. So in the fourth step, I always say, <clears throat> we turn to others to get connected to God. In the 10th step, I say we get connected to God so we can get connected to others. And um, so that's that's my experience. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Anyone else have questions for Terry this morning? This will be our final invitation for questions. Star one to unmute to announce yourself, including the first letter of your last name, please. Um, Sue M. Margaret D. Sue M. Margaret D. Anyone else? Star one to unmute if you have a question for Terry. This will be the final invitation for questions. Okay. Suppose all minds are cleared. Sue M, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, thank you for your share. I was wondering, um, what is your position on on receiving calls from people who are have not even begun their fourth step, but they have maybe a problem and they make an outreach call and need a 10th step, would like a 10th step with uh, a more experienced person. Do you help people in that way? Will you do a 10th step on an outreach call for a new um, member? Thanks, Sue, for the question. So for me, if if somebody's struggling, you know, uh, uh, if you know me, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a good listener. So I always, you know, everything that I do today is, is all about prayer meditation and not that, you know, because I don't want to be the problem solver, but I, I want to get to that. I want to get that person to the problem solver. So, 
you know, what I might do is I always meet people where they're at, but I would not take somebody through a 10 step that is either just starting out or, um, you know, maybe still in the food because they don't have access to the power at this point. I might help them see it in a different light, but I would not, I would not do any step work with them first because I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not their sponsor. I'm not a guide. Um, and so I always mm-hmm. kind of try to get them connected to, you know, power greater than themselves by taking it into prayer meditation, but also listening to them with open ears. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've had um, sponsors who have said to call other people and, and do a 10 step so that I would not turn to food. I can find relief in, in the, um, cause I'm not capable of the 10 step, you know, because I don't have the, that power if I tap into theirs. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's about, it, it's really about just keeping reach, reaching out to others and, and talking about where you are so you don't pick up. But, I, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I would not do any, I would not do any step work mm-hmm. with you because okay. you don't, you don't know. So it's like, you know, trying to uh, do surgery on somebody and you don't have any qualifications. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, I don't have access to knowing what I should do next with that person. So, I don't, I try not to play God in people's lives and that's really, you know, um, but I, you know, I definitely can be an encourager and, you know, a a good listener. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Sue. Thank you, Sue M. Margaret D., you'll offer our final question for this morning. Star one to unmute, Margaret. Can you hear? Am I? Yes. Can you hear? Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Thank you. Um, and thank you, everybody, um, for all your service and your your love and concern and um, ongoing passion for working the steps. My question is: You, you um, talked about um, keeping it keeping your program or this process from going into being robotic. And could you speak more about that? I just would love to hear about how a program is kept fresh. Thank you. Sure. Or that connection with your higher power is kept fresh. Because even if I do prayer and meditation, I find myself drifting into, you know, it being robotic. Thanks. Thank you, Margaret, for the question. And yeah, for for me, it's it's always um, the robotics. So it's it's almost like I'm idling. So if I do a ten step, I you know I don't always necessarily write it out because what I've learned in the fourth step is that we, you know, inventory that uh, we take inventory so that we you know so that an inventory that's done in the fourth step so we don't go so it doesn't go broke so we don't go broke. But when I'm in the 10th step, if I'm always doing inventory and idle in the paper, I'll never be open for business either. So for me, it gets robotic. Um, it could get robotic if I'm always writing out a 10th step because I had, you know, I've had many spiritual teachers along the path. And one of them said, you know, Terry, stop, stop writing, save, you know, save, save the trees because, I'm, you know, I was using so much paper. And um, this is really about, you know, getting to my truth with, with, you know, people that are awake through the process, because I definitely don't want to go to somebody that's, you know, not awake, and that's going to co-sign my behavior, because that's, that's not what it's about for me today. It's about, I want to get hit with the truth, 
And um, I can only get hit with the truth that with people that are going through the process or continue to go through the process and that continue to stay awake. Thank I hope that you. answers your question. Yeah, you're welcome. And Leah, before we um, before we close, I, I want to just maybe, um, I didn't get a chance to share my relationship ideal that I did. Um, so in, in the uh, relationship conduct, it says we, we shape a sound and in, sane ideal. And so I just want to share with the group that you can have an ideal for anything. And I have a book of ideals, and, and that might look like I have a home group ideal. I have a money's ideal. I have a body and weight ideal. I have, you know, um, I have a, a sister ideal. I have a mother ideal. And so this ideal that I want to share with you guys was the ideal that I had with my nephew. I wrote out a, a nephew ideal. And an ideal is how I show up as an aunt in the world today, you know, a, a woman with honor and dignity. So my my relationship ideal for my, my nephew, it just goes, God, please help me show, show up for others. Um, help me to be the loving aunt. Please help me love and meet others as they are, not as I would like them to be. God, I know you make no mistakes. God, help me to see others through your eyes, not mine. I pray that you guide me, help me to be of help to others and encourage to those in need. Help me to be a moving vessel for you, a good listener for others. I pray your will, not mine, be done. So that was what the ideal looks look like with my nephew. And um, so I, I, I can only live up to that with God's help today. And I'm so grateful for the process. And we're grateful for your beautiful presentation this morning, Terry A.H. Thank you for bringing the big book to life based on your personal imp implementation of the action steps involved. Thank you very much for your generous spirit. We're going to close from page 164. You'll find it in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>